back in another Sound of Battle Cry, and today we're going to be continuing the Pre-Trib Refuted series. Um, we've already done one about the first resurrection and the, the uh, connection between the, ra- the rapture and the resurrection, the first resurrection. And then also we did one about the trumpet, the last trump, uh, the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet. And uh, so the next one we're going to do is this phrase that is, uh, this verse that is cited and this conception that preachers have about this verse. And uh, the verse is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, which says this, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this is one of the most cited verses by people who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And they say there's no way that we can <clears throat> be here for the tribulation period. Or they call it the tri- the the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, whatever you want to call it. That period, they say, we cannot be here because we're not appointed to wrath. We're not appointed to wrath. They say it over and over and over again. Um, so because of that, we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna examine that today, and we're going to look at this verse in context, and then make uh, quite a few other points about that. All right, so let's get into it. This is one of the most cited verses by pre-tribbers used to prove their position. They say that if we are not appointed to wrath, how could the body of Christ be left on earth for the tribulation? They say that it that would that would be Christ beating his bride, or it would be Christ's body being smitten a second time for the sin of the world, meaning, you know, Christ was smitten on the cross for our sins. And that, you know, we are, Christians are the body of Christ. So them going through the tribulation would be the body of Christ being smitten a second time, kind of like Moses hit the rock twice or whatever it is. Okay, they have all these arguments. And these arguments just don't hold water at all. And I'll, I'll show you for a number of reasons. Uh, but that's, these. this is the reasoning given, okay? And, you know, I try in this series to accurately represent what pre-tribbers teach as much as I can. I don't want to misrepresent them, but this is what I've heard many times, you know, and just to let everyone know, you know, some people act, well, have you heard this? Have you heard this? Listen, I've (laughs) been studying this for 10 years. Okay. Been saved for 10 years. I've heard about the preacher rapture before I was even saved. I heard about it, you know, and uh, it was like the default position from everyone that I heard. And uh, when I first got saved, I'm like, oh yeah. And then I, I didn't even look into it. And then I start when I got saved, I started reading the Bible and I just couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't find the evidence, started questioning it, starting studying the word of God. I'm like, it's not here. I don't see it. So anyways, you know, I have heard all these things. These are things that I have heard many, many times. Okay. So you're not going to offer me something new. If you have something new that you think you have, email me. Okay. Send me an email with a specific point. All right, let's continue on here. So, uh, it could be, they say, uh, smiting Christ's body a second time or beating his bride. It's like Christ battering his wife. I've heard that a million times. All right, but so let's go on. Before we comment further on that, let's read the full context in which verse nine appears for God is not appointed us to wrath. Let's read the full context in which, uh, you know, what the verses say before that. All right. So go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 5 through 9. All right, let's read it. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. Who's that talking to? Saved people. Okay. We are not of the night nor of darkness. If you're lost, you're of the night, you're of darkness. Let us therefore, verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken, be are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Now stop right there. Okay, because when you look at the, the whole armor of God listed in Ephesians chapter 6, you know what it lists a helmet? When it gets to the helmet, it says the helmet of salvation. What does it say here? For a helmet, the hope of salvation. So we have the same um, association with that helmet. It's around your head. You have this knowledge of salvation, right? Because 
in Ephesians chapter 6, it just says the helmet of salvation. But right here it says, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So how do you have hope uh, when in regards to salvation? Well, if you are saved and then you have a knowledge of what the gospel is, what salvation means, what eternal life means, you're going to have hope. And why are you going to have hope? Because you know that your sins are forgiven. You know that you are reconciled to God, that now you have peace with God. You know that you have can have fellowship and a relationship with God now. And you know that you will not experience the wrath of God. You will not go to hell. Okay, so that's part of this hope of salvation, which brings us to the next verse, because it says, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation for, which means it's verse nine is continuing the thought of verse eight. It's in connection with talking about the hope of salvation for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but in contrast, to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because it says, the hope of salvation, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So verse eight, talking about salvation and the hope of salvation. Verse nine, it's talking about salvation. It's continuing the thought. There is no mention of the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, It's not saying that this wrath that it's talking about here has anything to do with the tribulation. It has nothing to do with it there. And if you say it's talking about that, you are taking your preconceived notion and you're putting it in there because it doesn't say it. It doesn't say it at all. Okay, now in verse 10 says, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Okay, so it's all talking about salvation talking about what jesus christ did for us and um all right so let's continue here let's talk about this clearly this is talking about salvation versus damnation the damnation in hell is referred to as wrath for god hath not appointed us to wrath why do pre-trippers try and say that the wrath here is referring to the tribulation why do they it has nothing to do with it you are taking that out of context and applying it to tribulation, the tribulation period. It just means punishment in hell. That's it. And for further evidence to back this up, let, uh, let's look at other mentions of wrath being used in reference to lost people and them experiencing punishment in hell. Not experiencing the punishment, not, not going through tri- the tribulation period. Let's look at it. The word wrath. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Abideth. You know what that means? It abides on him presently. Okay? If you're lost, the wrath of God, it's abiding on you. And if you any moment you die, you're going to hell. You're experiencing the wrath of God. Unless you believe on the Son. Then you have everlasting life. You will not experience the wrath of God. You are not appointed to wrath because you're saved. Okay, let's go to the next one. Let no uh, Ephesians five six. Let man no let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So when it says for because of these things, it was listing a bunch of sins, right? For because of these things. These sins come at the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Who's the children of disobedience? Lost people. Okay? So the wrath of God comes upon lost people. If they die, they will go to hell. Next verse. Colossians chapter 3 verse 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Again, saying the same thing. Which things? What? So I'm about a bunch of sins. Before that, go read the chapter. Go read Ephesians chapter 5. Go read Colossians chapter 3. It lists a bunch of sins. And it says, because of these things, they're going to experience the children of disobedience. They're going to experience the wrath of God. What's the wrath of God? Hell. You believe on the Son, you have everlasting life. You don't believe the Son on the Son, 
you experience the wrath of God. It's always that contrast, okay? So, when it says, back to the First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, it means God has not appointed us to suffer in hell, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to go to hell. We're not going to experience the wrath of God. That's it. It's very simple. Nothing to do with the tribulation period. Nothing to do with meaning. God has not appointed us to wrath. Therefore, we're going to escape the tribulation period with a pre-trib rapture. Nothing to do with that at all. And you have no evidence to support that. But let's continue here because we have more points. Let's just say it is referring to the tribulation period for argument's sake. Okay, let's just say it is. Let's just say it's, oh, we're not appointed to wrath. You know, we, uh, so we're not going to go to the tribulation period. All right. All right, let's say that. Well, then we have two points. Number one, the seven vials are specifically mentioned to be filled with the wrath of God. Okay, remember we went through that? There's the seven seals, seven trumpets, and the seven vials. And it says, in them are filled up with the wrath of God. And these are poured out after the seventh trumpet rapture, which is what I believe is when the rapture will happen at the seventh trumpet, where we meet the Lord together in the air. And we are at the marriage supper when the seven vials are being poured out. Then at the end of that, we come back with Jesus. He's on the white horse. We're on white horses clothed in, in light white linen. And that's the final destruction of the Antichrist and his armies. So those are mentioned as the wrath of God. And then point number two, even if we did teach that Christians would be here for the wrath of the seven vials, let's say that happens. Let's say we do go through the seven vials of the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. Okay? Let's say we're here for that, which, hey, if God wanted us to go through that, then we would. Okay? Let's say we're here. Why do pre-tribbers not believe that God could protect, protect his saints in the middle of all that? This is one of those things that I don't get. I don't understand you read the whole Bible, you read the Old Testament, what happened in Egypt. You read other, other examples I'm going to give. Like, here we go. Did not God protect Israel while they were in Egypt as all the plagues were being poured out in that kingdom? There were 10 plagues that were released by God in Egypt. And guess what? Israel was there. They had, there was a time when the, the uh, cattle of the Egyptians was hurt. And the Israelis' cattle was not hurt. The Jews' cattle was not hurt. There is, you know, all these times that all these plagues poured out and it didn't hurt those Jews. When the plague of the firstborn being killed happened, right? The firstborn of all the Egyptians would die. Of anyone who didn't put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, what happens? If you had the blood of the lamb which is representative of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God slain from, from the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. They had the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost. The destroyer would pass over, which is where we get the word Passover from, the holiday. He would pass over that house and the firstborn would not be killed. So they're in the midst of this wrath of God, which is being poured out in Egypt, killing the firstborns of the Egyptians, releasing all these plagues. But if they had the blood of the lamb on them, the, the destroyer the destroyer would pass over. The destroyer would pass over. Now, isn't it interesting that um, in Revelation chapter 9, when there's the locusts released from the bottomless pit, they have a king over them. Who, who, what's his name? Apollyon. Abaddon. What does that name mean? destroyer it's the same thing it means the same thing you think that's a coincidence and guess what it says those locusts are released to cause punishment and sting uh, um, towards the lost people who have taken the mark of the beast and it says they will not hurt those who don't have the mark of the beast who don't have the seal of god in their foreheads 
It's not going to hurt them, okay? Because the wrath of God is going towards the lost people. So you could have all this crazy stuff going on around you and the, and the wrath of God being poured out, but God protects you. Do you not have faith that God can do that? Why is it that you say, no, we have to be out of here. We can't be around for that. Why not? Because you're scared? Because you don't have faith that God can deliver you and, and protect you? It's, it's purely an emotional thing. It's, it's, uh, the preacher rapture comes from a place of fear and, and of, of not wanting to be around when those things happen. Okay? Listen, God can protect you. He did to the Jews in Egypt. Again, what about in the book of Daniel? Did not God protect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they refused to bow to the image of Nebuchadnezzar? To the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made? Which, by the way, was a type of the image of the beast, right? Nebuchadnezzar makes an image, says, whenever you hear all this music, everyone has to bow down. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Jewish Hebrew, these Hebrew children, they said, no, we're not going to bow. So they got in trouble. And he said, if you don't bow, we're going to kill you. We're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. They said, no, we're not going to do it. Well, guess what? There's going to be an image made in the tribulation period. The, the false prophet is going to have this image made, the image of the beast. And if you don't worship this image, you're going to be killed. You're going to be beheaded. That's what the punishment is for it. And uh, it's the same thing. It's it, the, the image in the book of Daniel is a foreshadowing of what will happen in the future. So they didn't bow to that Nebuchadnezzar's image. What happened to them? They were thrown into the fiery furnace, but they didn't die. And Jesus was there with them, right? It says there's a fourth person in the fire who looks like the, the son of God. Now, if you're reading another modern version, it says one who looks like a son of the gods. So, you know, maybe they're talking about Thor or something in there. But in the King James Bible, it says capital S, son of God. Jesus was with them in the fire. They didn't die. They came out. They didn't even smell like smoke when they got out. God protected them. And you know what they said? You know what they said? They said, we don't care if we die. They said, God is able to deliver us. He is able to protect us from death. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow because we will not betray God and commit an act of idolatry by bowing before your false God, before your statue, before your image. And that should be the same attitude that we have. There's an image of the beast put up and we say, we're not going to bow. And if God delivers us, great. If he doesn't, I don't care. I'm willing to lay down my life for Christ because he laid down his life for me. Now, if you don't, if you don't want to lay down your life, if you're not willing to for what Christ did for you, are you really showing thankfulness to what, for what Christ did for you? Do you really understand the magnitude of your sin and the magnitude of the punishment that Christ took for your sin for you not to be thankful to say, you know what? I'll do whatever it takes. I will not betray my God. I will not bow down to another God. I will not worship any other God except the God of heaven. The God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only God. He is my savior. He is Lord. No other Lords except Jesus Christ. That should be your attitude. So again, they were protected during this time. Uh, you know, and here's a verse that relates to that. Psalm 139 verses seven and eight. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. No matter where you go, God's there. He's with you. Jesus said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'm with you all the way through. That's what he said. Look at what Psalm 91 says. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague 
come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. God is able to protect you. He is able to deliver thee. You sing that in church on Sunday? He is able to deliver thee. Do you sing that? Do you mean it? Or are you lying? You know, there was a preacher, Leonard Ravenhill. You know what he said? Christians don't tell lies. They sing them on Sunday. Right? You sing that song. You sing those words. Do you actually believe it? Do you believe he is able to deliver me? Or are you just saying it? You just saying it? Because the Christian life is about living it, not just saying it. Okay? The Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know what to do, you just won't do it. Bible also says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Do you have faith that God can deliver you, can protect you? Or even if he doesn't protect you, it doesn't matter because it's just temporary? Okay? You might go through some some uh, temporary pain. Maybe you do get your head chopped off in the tribulation. So what? You're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. No more death, sorrow, crying ever again. It's love, joy, and peace for all of eternity. But you're not willing to go through a tiny period of tribulation. Why? Why is that? You got to ask yourself, why do you, are you so dead set against this that you will fight people about this pre-trib rapture? You see it all the time. Right here, Psalm 91. Do you believe it or just something you read and you give lip service to? So all those scriptures pre-tribbers use to say God will deliver us from the wrath to come do not mean escape from the tribulation with the pre-trib rapture. Has nothing to do with that. All right, let's read another one. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait from his, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Which delivered us? You notice that it's in the past tense? Another question is, how are we already delivered, past tense, from the wrath to come if the deliverance refers to the rapture, right? Because we wouldn't be delivered. If the rapture is being delivered from the wrath to come, then it couldn't have happened yet, right? Couldn't have already happened. We have to wait until the preacher rapture to be delivered from the wrath to come. But in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says, which delivered us from the wrath to come. We're already delivered. You know why? Because being delivered from the wrath to come means being saved. And you're saved from sin and you're saved from hell, the wrath to come. You're already delivered once you're saved. You are delivered the moment you are born again. Okay? Final comment on this subject, this this part. When pre-tribbers say that making the church go through the tribulation is Christ abusing and battering his bride, what are they saying about all the Christians who suffered persecution, torture, and death in the past? Are they not part of the bride? Are those Christians in the past part of the bride too? Are they lesser Christians than the ones that will supposedly escape the tribulation period? Are the small group of Christians that will happen to be alive at the time of the rapture that much more important and valuable than all other Christians in history? Oh, we're so special that we're the only group of Christians in history that have to escape tribulation because you know, this great tribulation, man, that's just, it's just too much. That's just too much tribulation. Even though all these other guys went through all that stuff, this is too much for us. So we need to be taken out of here. We're much more valuable. Well, how about all the Christians tortured and killed in the Inquisition by the Catholic Church? You know, the ones that had thumb screws screwed into their, their thumbs? How about the ones on the torture rack? dislocating their their their, their um, arms and legs out of their joints. How about the ones going in the Iron Maiden like a coffin with the nails slowly closing in and had molten hot pokers shoved in their eyes? 
Are you better than them? Were they not worthy to be to be raptured out before that that happened? How about all the Waldensians wiped out by the Catholic Church when they go into their villages and just slaughter thousands of them? How about all the Christians killed by Nero and other Roman emperors when he would he would uh, cover them and in, uh, in fat and light them like a candle to light his gardens? How about that? They weren't were they not worth being raptured out? How about all the apostles that were tortured and killed, crucified, had their heads chopped off? How about John the Apostle was thrown in a pot of boiling oil, but was protected by God and then exiled to the Isle of Patmos? Was he worthy? Should have he been raptured out? Was Christ beating his bride then? Was he beating his bride when he allowed them to be tortured and killed? Was he beating and abusing and battering his bride? Why were they not worthy enough to escape this persecution and tribulation? Oh, but Nate, you don't understand the tribulation period. It's different. That's the time of Jacob's trouble. That's different. Okay? They say, well, you know, that was the time of Jacob's trouble. That's for the Jews. You know, because Jews deserve, obviously to the preacher, but Jews deserve extra punishment. Right? They deserve more punishment. Christians deserve to get out of here the gentiles yeah they don't deserve as much punishment as those jews they need to go through the tribulation let's put aside talking about the jews for a moment because we will talk about in the future i'll go heavily into it i have a very in-depth teaching that i'm going to be doing on israel the jews zionism abraham's seed i mean i'm i'm going to hit all of it okay because there's so much disinformation and, and false doctrine about that but anyways, what about the tribulation saints? What about that? This is what we hear. We hear that the church, the body of Christ, the Christians are raptured out before the tribulation. But then we obviously book of Revelation teaches that there are Christians there. And the, the pre-tribbers say, well, these are just tribulation saints. These are people that get saved during the tribulation. They're kind of in a different category. Okay. What about the tribulation saints that will be beheaded during that time? Will they be part of the bride of Christ slash body of Christ? Will they be a part of the bride? If they are part of the bride, I want you to follow me, okay? If they are part of the bride of Christ, how does it agree with your argument about Christ not beating his bride, right? Because your argument is Christ isn't going to beat his bride. If they if these tribulation saints are part of the bride of Christ, he's still beating his bride. Okay? Now, if you say, well, they're not, okay? They're different. These are different people. You know, they missed their chance. They missed their preacher rapture. They're not a part of the bride of Christ. They're not part of the body of Christ. They're just a different category of Christians. Okay? So if you're saying that, then you're creating some big problems. Now you just made a group of second-class Christians for whom Christ shed his blood. Because remember, they're not getting saved unless they put their faith in Jesus Christ. He shed his blood for them that are supposedly not a part of the bride of Christ. There is no mention of this anywhere in Scripture, that there is some second category of Christians that are not part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Ready? Let's read a few scriptures. Romans 12, 5. So we, being many, are one body of Christ and every one members of one another. There's only one body of Christ. That's it. Not two, not three. There's not one regular body, the tribulation saint body, and maybe a third one for the Jewish body. There's one. There is only one. Let's read another one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through you all and in you all. Okay? All right. So, one body. It says it multiple times. There's other scriptures too. It says there's one body. There is not two. There's not three. Only one. Okay? So if you try to say that these Christians are not a part of the body of Christ, you're you're going against scripture. You are plainly going against scripture. But then again, if you say they are part of the bride, their body of Christ, now you just went against your own argument. 
Now Christ is beating his bride. Which one are you going to choose? You got to pick one if you're a pre-tribber. You better pick one if you're honest. Okay? And uh, let's. I hope that you're going to be honest with this. Deal with these arguments. Ask yourself. Okay? Don't deal with me about it. You deal with the scriptures. Okay? Ask yourself about this. Consider these things. Maybe you've never considered these things before. It's time to consider them. Honestly. Okay? Now, let's continue on here. Finally, one final point about this this whole thing about Christians. What does the Bible say about Christians going through tribulation and persecution in general? What does it say? The Bible is very clear. All the way through, it says the same things over and over again. What does it say? We're going through, if you're a Christian, you will suffer persecution. You will go through tribulation. No matter what time period it is, from the time of Christ until the end of the world, there will be persecution you will go through. There will be tribulation. And if there isn't, maybe you're not living godly because it says right here, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live God godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're going to be, if you're saved, you're going to live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. It's going to happen. Now, if you're not suffering any persecution, maybe you're not living godly and there's no Christianity and no testimony that anyone could recognize in your life. Let's continue. John 18, 33. These things have I spoken to you that in me you might have peace in the world. Ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It says ye shall have tribulation and suffer persecution. Even in tribulation, we should be of good cheer we just have to trust Jesus. He said, be of good cheer. Don't worry. I've already overcome the world. If you, if you, if you go through persecution and tribulation, rejoice. You're counted worthy to suffer for his name. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Let's move on to the next one. Romans chapter five, verses one through five. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hopeth, hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You see, there is hope in tribulation. Have faith. Okay? What does it say? Starts with tribulation, ends in hope. What did we read earlier? Hope of salvation. There's hope. You should always have hope. Okay? But not only does it say that we'll go through tribulation it says we glory in tribulations we go this is you know this is suffering for christ we glory in it because if you don't go through tribulation that's not what the bible promises christians to live this smooth life where nothing bad ever happens that's not the christian life sorry if you think that's what you signed up for you you were sold a bill of goods because that's a lie this isn't your best life now this isn't Joel Osteen's gospel or, or any other garbage like that. We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So what does that mean? It means going through tribulations will help you. It's supposed to give you patience. supposed to strengthen your faith. supposed to give you hope. Tribulation is a good thing. It builds faith, builds character. When everything goes fine and, 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 you, and uh, everything is smooth, that doesn't build strong Christians. That builds wimps. People that have no faith. How impressive is it to the lost world when you patiently go through abundance? Oh man, look at this. Look at this Christian who they have everything that they need and nothing ever goes wrong. What strong faith that they have. You ever read, does anyone want to read a story? Okay. Has anyone ever bought a book where the, the, this is the plot of the story. This man was born. He never had any troubles. He made a bunch of money. His life went great and nothing ever went bad. And he died a happy man. Oh man. What an exciting story. No, 
That never happens. You know what people like to read about? Stories of struggle, the underdog overcoming adversity, struggle, tribulation, going through it, coming out the other side, a stronger, a better person. Now, in the context of the gospel, we're not trying to become better people. It's about strengthening our faith in Christ because it's not about us and becoming better people. But the point is, you can't grow in faith without tribulation. It's a tool that God uses. Go back and watch my video on uh, the furnace of affliction, how God turns dirt into gold. He must use fiery trials to strengthen your faith. That's what he uses. Okay, so if you don't want to go through that, you don't want to grow in faith. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And you know, again, he says, we, should, we told you, you're going to suffer tribulation. We're going to suffer affliction. You know, what, you know what he said? No man should be moved by these afflictions. It's not, it shouldn't shake you up. Say, oh, I, I can't believe I'm going through afflictions. I, 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 never, I never expected such things would happen to me. He says, you're appointed unto it. You got an appointment. Okay? God's made an appointment for you. And it's for affliction. Okay? You, what did it say in Psalms? What did David say? It is good for me that I have been afflicted. It was good. But the pre-trubbers are telling us, no, it's not good. We need, to, we need to escape from it. We can't go through this tribulation. We can't through, go through this affliction. It's just too much. Bible says it's good. And you got an appointment with it. Okay? Acts 14.22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, Enter into the kingdom of God. There's one way through the kingdom of God. It's through Jesus Christ. And, in, and after that, tribulation. Hey, it's either what, what you know, you got a choice. Ready? Ready for this? Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man dies, had everything he wanted, died, went to hell. Lazarus died, angels carried him, Abraham's bosom. He's there. And what did Abraham tell him? He said, hey, in your, your life, you had good things. He had ev- and Lazarus had evil things. But now you're, you're, you're tormented and he's comforted. That's the trade-off, folks. Either have you, you have some temporary pain and suffering now and affliction and then eternal life, peace, joy, and love? Or you live it up and you get your sex, drugs, and rock and roll and money and power, whatever it is that you want now, you sell your soul to the devil and then go to hell for all of eternity. That's your choice. But you can't have both. You're not, we're not, the Christian life isn't, yeah, we're saved. We're gonna have eternal life and also, Money, power, fame, all these other things that we want. No, that's for the devil's children. That's who it's for. It's not for you. Okay? We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That's what that, and this is what Paul said after he was stoned so bad. That everyone thought he was dead. And I don't mean he was smoking a joint and he got stoned. I mean, he had rocks thrown at him. And they threw all these rocks at him. He fell down and they said, he's dead. Paul's dead. And then he got up. They thought he he got hit with rocks so bad they thought he was dead. And then after, he said, hey, we got to go through it. No big deal. He brushed himself on, off, on to the next thing. He say, hey, we got to go through it. Didn't complain about it. Never hear Paul complaining about going through affliction, tribulation. And then finally, Matthew 24. Cool, the controversial chapter, right? They say it's only written to the Jews. 
It's only written to people in the tribulation period. It's in a different dispensation and all this stuff. Well, don't worry. We'll be dealing with dispensationalism. In-depth teaching on that is welcoming. Because we got you can't talk about the preacher rapture if you don't talk about the underlying system of dispensationalism. Okay, we got to talk about it. But let's finish here. Matthew 24. Some comments on that and we're done. Okay, Matthew 24, verses 7 through 13. This is Jesus talking. For a nation shall, remember what they asked him though. His disciples said, what is the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And notice they said, thy coming, not thy comings. Not that your coming is split into two parts, one at the preacher rapture and then your second coming at the end of the tribulation. Only one. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Deliver who? Who's he talking to? Tribulation saints? People that aren't even born yet? Lost people? No, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to save people. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Oh, you don't want to be hated? Okay, well, don't be a Christian then because you're going to be. And don't go around trying to make people hate you on purpose because that's not what the Bible says. It just means simply by the fact of being a Christian and not compromising your belief, you'll be hated. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake, and then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So what do we got here? It says, after the beginning of sorrows, we shall be hated and killed. Tribulation, we. How can we be hated and killed if we're raptured out? We're not even here, right? Must be those people who are left behind. Please tell me why Jesus would say this and not say, but you don't have to worry about that because you will be raptured. You don't have to worry about being hated and killed because you're going to be gone. He never said that. This is directed at unbelievers who, is this directed at unbelievers who will become believers during the tribulation? No. Why would he direct this statement at people who aren't even reading the Bible? He wouldn't. He's not talking about lost people that aren't even going to read this. He's talking about saved people. You're going to be hated. You're going to be afflicted. They're going to kill you, saved people, because you're going to be here. And I'm warning you. It's very simple. Now, as far as that phrase, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. There are a lot of confusion about that. You got some people who say, People who teach that you can lose your salvation, they'll say, see, that means you got to endure to the end or you're not going to be saved. You lose your salvation. Wrong. That's wrong. I know you can't lose your salvation. Don't worry. I got a teachings on eternal security coming. And, uh, and then you have other people who are dispensationalists, or maybe you would say a hyper dispensationalist, people who believe in uh, salvation is different depending on the dispensation. They teach that in the Old Testament, saved by faith plus works. And in the tribulation period, salvation will change from faith alone to faith plus works. You don't find that in the Bible, but that's what they teach. And they say, this passage is being written to only the tribulation saints in that period because they need to endure into the end in order to be saved. So if they endure to the end, then they'll achieve salvation. Wrong again. Because the Bible's consistent about the gospel all the way through, and you are just coming up with another, a false gospel, a false teaching. What does endure to the end mean? Endure to the end means that those who are truly saved will endure unto the end. That's it. Anyone who falls away was never saved. They were a false convert. You cannot lose your salvation. This is not referring to another dispensation in the tribulation where you are saved by faith plus works because that is impossible in a heretical false gospel for any point in history. Okay, we'll deal with this more in later teachings, but let me just say it right now, okay? If, you know, because they say people are saved by faith plus works in the tribulation period. Let's talk about that for a second, okay? The Bible is very clear on what the gospel is. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ 
and that's it. You're saved. You're born again in that moment. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. No works that you can do will save you. It is impossible to be saved by works. Now, let me give you two points about that. Number one, any sin that you commit, okay, and, we could, and, and we've committed many sins, hundreds and hundreds of sins, right? Let's say, uh, I'm sorry, works can never cover up that sin. All right. Let's say you stand before the judge. You've you're and uh, you murdered someone. You stand before the judge. You say, and they say you're guilty of murder. What do you have to say for yourself? Well, you know, I um, well, first of all, I didn't do, you know, I didn't steal from anyone. Uh, I didn't commit perjury. I didn't do all these things. And they said, so what? You committed murder just because you didn't break these other laws doesn't mean you're not guilty of these laws. Is that what you're going to say? Oh, here's another one. And then he says, okay, okay, okay. Well, I did do a lot of good things. I helped people. I gave a lot of money to charity. Man, I did a lot of good things. I said, so what? You still killed someone. You committed murder. You're guilty. You're going to prison. Okay? So guess what? It works the same way with God. You, no one in any dispensation can say my works have merited salvation. My works cover up my sin because it's impossible that works can cover up sin. It doesn't somehow not work now, but it magically works to cover up your sin in the tribulation period or it magically worked in the Old Testament. Oh, you know, back then works covered up your sin. No, it never works with God. Never has, never will. You know, what the, you know what the book of Hebrews says? For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It's impossible. Good works never cover up sin. It is only faith in Christ that will save you, that will give you cover up your sin through the imputed righteousness of Christ. Work salvation is impossible and it was never viable in Old Testament or the tribulation period. And if you think it is, you explain from the Bible how work salvation works. Don't worry, I'll wait. I'll wait for you to explain to me how works will cover up your sin and somehow mingles in with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, even though the Bible says um if if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If you could be saved by doing good works and keeping the law, then there was no reason for Christ to die. But all of a sudden, I guess, in the tribulation period, Christ's sacrifice is worth nothing and you you know, your works can play a role in salvation. That's heresy. That is heresy. It's a false gospel. Okay? And anyone I've ever seen teach that, they get it from Ruckman or, you know, uh, Clarence Larkin, whatever it is, some other dispensational teacher and, and those people... As some of the nastiest people I've ever encountered in my life. They get vicious, they attack you, but they don't have any evidence. They're still wrong. They're still wrong. Okay? And they have very, very bad fruit. So, no, you cannot be saved by faith plus works. You can't, you can't in the past, and you're not going to be able to be in the future. It's always faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. Okay? Now, um, you want to learn more about that? Go back to watch my videos on babe in Christ versus a false convert, my videos on repentance, my videos on faith. I get into full detail about all those things, about understanding true uh, salvation versus false conversion, evidences of salvation, all that stuff. Carnal Christian, I cover all those things back in those videos. The definitions of repentance, go back and check those out, okay? But anyways, endure to the end. All it means is, you know, the Bible teaches, you know, I'm not a Calvinist, but this whole perseverance thing, it's a Bible teaching. It's, a, it's called preservation and perseverance. What does that mean? We persevere, we continue in the, va- in the faith because God preserves us. That's what the Bible says. It says he preserveth the way of his saints. Go read the Psalms. You'll see it right there. It's promised. He preserves the way of saints. It says a righteous man falls seven times, get back, gets back up again. It says though a, a righteous man, a just man falls, 
He will not be utterly cast down. He's not going to stay down. But God upholds him with his right hand. He lifts him up. Okay, you know what that means? A truly saved person will never fall away from the faith and, and all of a sudden now they're an atheist. They didn't lose their salvation. They were never saved. They gave a false profession of faith. They were a fake Christian. They were never born again. It was just an outward appearance. That's what it means. But truly saved Christians will continue, will persevere in the faith because his seed remains in them. He will, they will are regenerated supernaturally by the power of God and the grace of God enables them. Even though they have, may sin, they repent, they get back up and they try again and they continue forward. They never reject Christ. They never turn away from their faith. They always continue in the faith. That's what it means. He that shall endure to the end, same shall be saved. You know what that means? A lot of false converts are going to be revealed in the tribulation period. Because when the proverbial fecal matter hits the oscillator, it's going to reveal a lot of false converts. All right? So let's end with this. To those dispensationalists who say that this scripture is addressing only the Jews, this is what what Jesus says after the same warning of tribulation in the book of Mark. Mark 13, 37. And what I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch. And that's it for today. Like I said, you got any questions, send me an email. Don't give me a novel in the, in the YouTube comments because uh, I'm not going to reply to it. Okay? We're not, we can't get into all the finer details. And another thing too, please, stay on topic. If you make a point, please make one point at a time. I will respond to that point. And if you can respond back to the point that I made, we stay in that one point until we come to a conclusion. If you, if you make a point, I make a point, and then you throw out something that has nothing to do with it. You start talking about somewhere else and, so, and this thing and then some other subject. The discussion is done because you're not talking to me. You're talking at me and you're not trying to come to a reasonable conclusion. You just want to shove your thing in my face until I submit to you. It's not going to happen. Let, let us reason. Come, let us reason together. All right. Thank you. God bless. Have a good day.